We'll read three verses. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, not Judas Iscariot. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his physical brethren, his brothers. We ask, Heavenly Father, your blessing on our considerations this evening. We pray that we might be in the center of your will. May we grow in our love for Christ. May this last hymn be an expression of one aspect of our prayer life. More love to thee. We pray that you would bless these thoughts this evening for your honor and glory. Amen. You may be seated. All right, as many of you are aware, two of our families flew south to attend the special meetings at the Indian Mission Baptist Church in Smithville, Oklahoma. With just a little bit of jealousy, I have to confess, with just a little bit of jealousy, I was praying for God's blessings on those meetings and on each of the people who went down there. And I will also admit that my prayers were slightly different for each of our couples and also for the other one that went down from Colorado. Essentially, I was praying that the Lord would use Brother Fulton to be a blessing. I was trusting the Lord that he and Rachel would come back refreshed and excited about the things of the Lord because of the ministry that they had while they were down there. As for the kill guards, I knew that they would be a blessing just by being there. But specifically, my prayers were for them that they would receive a blessing, bring it back and share it with us, and perhaps that blessing grow and grow and grow and grow. In other words, it was my prayer that they would see and learn things there which they might not see and learn if they remained here in North Idaho. From what I understand, from what we heard this morning, uh, all of my prayers were answered. My prayers have been answered. I suppose that some pastors might feel a little threatened by this sort of thing, but I assure you that I am not. If a fire can be started somewhere else and brought to our church, then I'm all for it if I can't get the blaze to get started here. That's all right with me. Yesterday, after spending some time in prayer with a few of the brethren, Brother Kilgard asked me if I've ever been in the sort of prayer meetings that those transplanted North Carolinians have down there in Oklahoma. It seems that many of the Choctaws and the uh, Cherokees also have prayer meetings somewhat similar to what you experienced last week or a couple of weeks ago. 
I told him that I have been in some of those meetings, but uh, only a few, not very many. They're quite different from our prayer meetings here. As several of you saw this morning, Brother Steve was rather excited about the way those brethren worship the Lord. Our brief discussion yesterday got me thinking and praying. And when I was given the opportunity to speak tonight, uh, this is the way my thoughts have gone yesterday and this afternoon. I thought I'd share some thoughts about prayer and about prayer meetings. This is not really much more than an outline for you this evening because I haven't had a lot of time to spend on it, but I hope that it will be a blessing to you and a blessing to our church. Perhaps it might get you thinking. In my preparations yesterday, I threw together a bundle of ad adverbs that I will use for this simple outline. But first, what is it to pray? Ah, we all know what it is to pray. Sure, we have no problem there. But how much time have you ever spent thinking about the word prayer? Noah Webster's first definition is simply to ask, to ask with earnestness and zeal, to entreat, to supplicate. That's the entire first definition. Other than a few special cases, most of us would never think of praying except in regard to the Lord, praying to the Lord. Unless you were being silly, and I can picture at least one or two of you being silly, and in an English accent, you ordinarily wouldn't say, I pray, Brother Oldfield, would you please pass the salt and pepper? We don't pray to one another. Although, some might from time to time. In our society, generally speaking, we reserve our prayers for the Lord. And in the Word of God, there's no doubt that we are exhorted to pray. Over and over and over again, we're told to pray. I could give you another 15 minutes of scriptures where we are exhorted to pray. How many invitations do we need? Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. In the context of prayer, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh needs some help. Is weak. Lord Jesus spake a parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He said, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Paul said that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. He tells us to pray without ceasing. We go on and on with scriptures like this. We are supposed to pray. We should desire to pray. We should yearn to be with the Lord in prayer. Each one of these scriptures could be developed into its own lesson. Seek, ask, knock, watch and pray, prayer and supplication, praying in the Holy Spirit. Going back through my records, 
I have preached or taught lessons, 75 lessons on prayer throughout these years. Sometimes using the verses that I've just shared with you. <coughs> Following the exhortations, we have promises that the Lord will answer these prayers. So not only do we have the exhortation, we have the encouragement of answers. Thou shalt call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, I like this. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here I am. To the saint, God has said, call upon me and I will answer. It shall come, it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. Ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find and it shall be opened unto you. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and shall be done unto you. If we lack anything, if we lack any of the good things of God, it may be that we have not seriously asked him for these things. Ask, he says. He commands. Yesterday I jotted down several adverbs each of which could be developed into sermon points. And I'm just basically going to share them with you. We could probably multiply all of these. Maybe I should sit down and ask you for some more. We are to pray personally. We don't have to be in church. We don't have to be with any other of the brethren. It doesn't have to be two or three before we can pray. We pray personally. The larger the group does not necessarily mean the stronger our prayers will be before the throne of God. We can pray at home. How can we pray without ceasing, as we are commanded, if we have to go find somebody and pray with them all the time? And that brings us to another point. Pray constantly, without ceasing. That speaks to a heart which is striving to have fellowship with the Lord constantly. This sort of person recognizes in every snowflake, in every raindrop, in every minute of sunshine that the Lord is there. We have the hand of the Lord in these things. Praying without ceasing constantly finds things for which to praise the Lord and things about which to ask the Lord. Lord, I need your blessing in these things. We need to, to develop a, a constant fellowship with God, constantly thinking about Him. And then these prayer things will just fall into place automatically. I tried a few days ago to show you Elijah, someone to emulate during those periods in life when he was filled with faith. He wasn't always, but sometimes. James, when speaking about him, said, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. We should pray earnestly. We should pray well, in the previous verse, James adds another word, very much like earnestly. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
effectually, earnestly, fervently. Earnestly and fervently are two great adverbs when it comes to prayer. Perhaps another related word would be importunately. It is one thing to, speaking for myself, it's one thing to write down something on my wife's shopping list. We need mouthwash. And it's another thing to uh, speak with Judy as she goes out the door to the gro grocery shopping. Would you, would you please buy me a nice steak today? Is there enough money in there so I can have a nice steak? It's one thing to write on the shopping list and it's another to uh, plead, shall we say. We do the same sort of thing with the Lord. We need to beseech Him. Another word is submissively. Even when we're burdened deeply about the needs of someone, we must pray in submission to the Lord's will. We may fervently pray for revival. We may plead with the Lord for the healing of a friend or the salvation of a loved one, and yet there must be the thought, whether it's expressed or not, if it be thy will, Lord, if it be thy will. I plead that it will be thy will. Lord, I beg of you. And then there's nothing wrong with praying specifically. We see the church in Jerusalem praying for Peter's deliverance from the hand of the priests and also from the Romans. Elijah prayed fervently for a drought. And then he prayed fervently for rain. Specific things. During all of this, we must remember to pray pointedly. And I realize I'm stretching my words here a little bit. With the point being the Lord's glory for whatever we're praying. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's, uh, it's about the Lord. I'm sure if we put our heads together, we could come up with a few more adverbs that we might apply to uh, our prayer lives. But one that I would like to address directly could be called, or we'll just call it collectively. The Bible teaches and shows us periods of group prayers, churches in prayers. After Jesus' ascension, chapter 1, they returned. The disciples returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. What does this passage from Acts chapter 1 tell us? We recognize that they're not in the temple this time. They often went to the temple for various reasons, prayer being one of them. So this was not a public prayer. It was not open to the eyes of unbelievers. It's not that the brethren were trying to hide. But neither did they openly share the burdens on their hearts with outsiders, at least at this point in time. We also see that this involved the 11 disciples and Christian ladies as well. 
Jesus' physical brothers were there. Some, James, for example, was now a believer in Christ, eventually became one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. We also notice the words prayer and supplication, which may suggest worship and also requests, earnest requests. We could probably go on. As I say, I haven't had much time to meditate over these scriptures. What does this scripture not tell us? Several things, including what their prayer requests were. For what did they beseech the Lord? More love to thee, O Christ? Did they pray for the coming kingdom? The Lord has told them already in this chapter, you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Maybe they're praying for wisdom for their evangelistic work. We can assume they prayed for the promised power of the Holy Spirit because the Lord referred to that. Lord, we, want, we need that power. You promised us this power. This is something that I think we should be doing. Lord, bless us with this power from on high. Did they pray for loved ones who laughed at them when they first said, you know, Jesus arose from the grave? Were they praying for the salvation of souls? There are probably many things about which they were praying. Did they pray for half an hour? Half a day? Or was it half a week? Another example of united prayer is found in chapter 4. Peter, John, along with the, the man who had been healed, had all been arrested. And when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John, they commanded them to stop preaching, and then they let them go. Verse 23. And being let go... They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, the people to whom the, pre the, the preachers returned, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Question. Does the Bible tell us which of the disciples led the church in prayer that day? It doesn't. When it says... When they had prayed, does that mean that uh, there was a leader and they all joined their hearts with what he was saying? Or were there more than one that prayed? Does that mean when the leaders stopped praying, the people were all filled with the Holy Ghost? In Acts 12, Peter was again arrested. But this time, it was uh, after the governmental murder of the Apostle James. The church was seriously concerned about the safety of Peter. Would he be the next to die under the sword? 
Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse number 5. After he was miraculously set free, Peter made his way to one of the places where the church often met for prayer. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. About what were they praying? Well, I assume they were beseeching the Lord for the safety of Peter, for the glory of the Lord in Peter's life, however it was managed. When they saw him, they were astonished. They should not have been. They were supposed to be praying in faith for the deliverance of uh, their man, Peter. Now he shows up at the door and they're all surprised that he's there. Something's wrong here. But that's not my point. They prayed for the Lord's glory. Who prayed? Was there one man who led the group? Did they take turns? We'll come back to this. In Acts 21, we find the Apostle Paul on his way to Jerusalem. And many people were expecting the very worst for him when he got there. In fact, there had been prophecies made that he was going to be bound. There was going to be a problem when he got to Jerusalem. Everywhere along the route as he went, they were expecting the very worst. At Tyre, when it was time for him to leave and go down to do Caesarea, I assume, and go from there up to Jerusalem, verse 5, We departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way. They all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. It would be nice if we had a definition on all of these uh, pronouns, explanation about the who and we and whatnot. We all, they all went with us. We kneeled down on the shore and prayed. What does this tell us about group prayer? We're told that apparently the whole church was there, including wives and children. They're part of the church. We're told that it was out in the open. It may have been a relatively private spot, But uh, they aren't behind locked doors. They're not in an upper room. They're on a beach. And about what did they pray? Again, no specific information. But I would guess that they prayed for Paul's safety. He's carrying a great deal of gold and silver that it would be delivered to the saints in Jerusalem that were in need of it. They prayed for Several things, I assume, but we're not told what they are. And I will also assume that they prayed leaving things in God's hand in his will. I would hope that they were praying for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In regard to these three group prayer meetings, or was it four? Church prayer meetings, what manner was employed? How did it come to pass? What did they do? 
Let me offer four more adverbs, one of which, without a doubt, is the manner in which they prayed. But which of the four? They could have all prayed secretly, silently. Just think of the last one, chapter 21. Fifty people at Tyre could have knelt down on the beach, opening up their hearts to silently speak to the Lord. Can you just picture that? Fifty people kneeling down in the sand. Not a word is spoken. Everybody has opened up their hearts and they're just communing with the Lord. How likely is that? There's nothing wrong with it. But personally speaking, I speak with the Lord from the heart without words a lot. But in this situation, do you think that's the way they prayed? It, 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 highly unlikely. It's not impossible, but in my estimation, highly unlikely. On the other hand, they might have prayed socially. By that, I refer to the way that we often pray during our regular church services. We appoint one man to put words to our prayers on behalf of the whole group. Social prayer, if you like. As he addresses the Lord, we listen to what he says. And every once in a while, if the prayer is long enough, we say, Amen. Perhaps trying to get him to quit so we can move on. We pray socially with one person leading the group. There's nothing wrong with that. Another option opened open to them. They could have prayed successively. Each one might have patiently waited as one of the others was praying. And as that person paused, or as he said an amen himself, then another person jumped right in there and started praying. Successively. Two, three, four, five people, perhaps. Let's say there were 50 people there on the shore that day. How many would have prayed before they started repeating each other? Right. How many of those 50s would have actually prayed? Six? Eight? And they ran out of steam or ran out of prayer requests? Yet another way they might have prayed could have been simultaneously. By that I mean all 50 might have raised their voices to heaven all at the same time without anyone considering when anyone else was praying. Christian children may have been praying as loudly as their Christian fathers. I'm not going to be boldly saying that the women were speaking their prayers while the husbands were speaking theirs, but I'm not going to say that was not happening either. We don't know. One of the things which the Kilgard saw in Oklahoma was the practice of simultaneous prayer. I don't know if they'd experienced it before Oklahoma, you were in Oklahoma before, yeah, right. and 
and again. The Fultons and some of the rest of us have been in situations like that. I've been in services where 30 or 40 people knelt down and they all raised their voices to God all at once. It was a joyful cacophony of prayer. What might be the advantages of that kind of prayer service? Having only limited experience myself in that regard and not as many hours as I would have liked to have thought about it, here are some of my observations as to the uh, advantages of simultaneous prayer. And you may disagree with me. I think I've already heard a disagreement. I think one advantage is focus. Yes. When one person is voicing the prayer for an entire congregation, what is everybody else doing? I hope at the very least they are listening to his prayer. They are offering encouragement, maybe with an occasional amen. I agree with that. That prayer leader may be looking into the face of God, but rarely is anyone else. They are thinking about their prayer leader and what he is saying. They're listening to what he is saying. They're not looking into heaven. Most of the time, they're focusing on the man who is leading them in prayer. But if two men were talking to God and not paying any attention to each other, two people would be talking to the Lord rather than one and then taking his turn later. What if there were 50 people speaking to the Lord? What if no one was paying attention to anyone else? 50 people were talking to the Lord. It just is that simple. Mm -hmm. When I kneel down next to Brother Berg or Brother Wayne and they are praying, I confess that I am listening to them. And I will utter a groan every once in a while, and amen. Uh, I'll even fill in the blanks sometimes when I can't remember somebody's name. But when it's my turn to pray, my attention moves from them to the Lord. And I forget that they are even there as I concentrate on the Lord. What if we all disregarded our neighbor's words and we just focused on the Lord. Another advantage of this kind of prayer might foolishly be called coverage. I may not be able to think of all those people and all those situations which need the Lord's blessing today. But someone else in the room does remember. They're closer to the situation. They love that person more directly than I do. And as far as they're concerned, it is more of a burden to them than this person is to me. So I may not even think to pray about so-and-so while a dozen others do. Right. Coverage. If 50 people spend 10 minutes in prayer, that's 500 minutes. 
Is that the same as one person spending 10 minutes in prayer within the hearing of 49 other people? The Lord is able. Am I being silly? No. What sort of disadvantages would there be if everyone was praying all at once? Shock is the first thing. Is the first thing. Because I had not been warned, the first time I experienced simultaneous prayer, I was flabbergasted. I got down on my knees, got to ready to pray, and all of a sudden there was all this talk, all this noise, and I just stuttered and stammered for a minute. To be honest, I quit praying, and I tried to listen to what was going on around me. It took a few moments to get used to, and then to return to my own work of beseeching the Lord. A stranger coming into a service where there is simultaneous prayer might be shocked out of his socks. And that could be a disadvantage. Could be. I have heard, I think I heard the word yesterday, charismatic used in describing this kind of prayer service. But then it was quickly reversed. Someone might think that this was the practice of a a Christian cult rather than the people of God. But what I witnessed, there was no cult involved. It was just regular old Baptist people who just practiced prayer meeting differently than I had ever done before. It's just that they were raised differently than I was. Another word might be confusion. But the confusion comes only with paying attention to our neighbor rather than paying attention to the Lord. The confusion comes because we're not looking into the face of God. Noisy and loud might be other words, but I have never been in a prayer meeting that was as loud and noisy as I was when I went to the hockey game in Denver. Someone might think that simultaneous prayer would confuse the Lord. No. That's no. ridiculous. If God can hear the prayers of 10,000 people scattered around the world at the same time, He can hear the prayers of 50 people who are confined to one room. We're not going to limit the Lord. Give God some credit. The men will be gathering for prayer this Saturday at 7 in the morning. We invite all the men to gather with us. This week, I'd like to try something new. Rather than, rather than pairing off, as we usually do, and, and going into different corners, different rooms sometimes, uh, I'm going to recommend that we stay together. We pray together. And we focus on the Lord. And we keep praying until there's nothing else to beseech the Lord for. And then it's over. 
Then our prayer meeting is finished. Let's try this a time or two with the men yes. and see how this feels yes, before we try to implement it on a Wednesday evening. There are advantages to this kind of prayer. And I don't know that I've touched on it all. I'm sure some of you have other thoughts you can add. Uh, add them. <clears throat> One thing I see as an advantage to it is Wayne and I were talking about this. How, you know, uh, you get down and pray and sometimes the flesh kicks in and you're trying to press the person you are praying with at how spiritual and in touch you are, which is foolishness. Or there's some brethren here that are feel awkward praying out loud and, you know, I'm not listening to you, you know, uh, you know, I'm praying to the Lord. And like I say, the noise there uh, uh, and everybody praying, you know, uh, like you, you know, it, yeah, I was first I was totally distracted, but then I found myself, I was able to focus, didn't have my plug-in prayer and hit play on the recorder. Mm -hmm. I was able to focus more, you know, seek the face of God. And I felt I was more before him in that type of prayer, you know. I can and, see that. Uh, yeah, I, like I say, I'm, I'm uh, excited about the fact that we're going to look into it. And maybe, you know, hopefully the Lord will bless and guide in his will. And like you say, see what happens. I don't like the idea, well... It's possible that someone would come along and say, oh, you're just doing it because uh, that's the way Scott Silvers does it. It's, it's not that. If we can get a good idea on how to serve the Lord, then we should Amen. see if it, it's for us, for Austin. I've found myself at times, I've been in quite a few of these now. Um, when I was down last year, and then we get together at the church every morning, we were just spread out in the court. So it's not like you're right next to people, and it's no different than when we pray. On Wednesday night right now, we pray two by two with all in the same room. It's the same. And so when there would be eight or ten of us guys, and we're spread out throughout the room, and we all just pray at the same time, what I found was nice was a lot of times when you're praying with somebody and one is listening, you know, sometimes your train of thought, you know, when you're praying, you pause. What's nice is when you're just it's just you praying. And no one's listening. If I pause for 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then I continue praying again. Right. And I found myself able to pray more about all the things that I really wanted to pray because you're not concerned with anybody listening to yeah. God. And if you want to take a break, take a break. Mm -hmm. And then start praying again. Mm -hmm. So there's some real benefits to that personal... You're still praying as a group. And it was great because before you pray, there's this fellowship, there's the prayer requests and all this, and then you split up and you pray. And it really is more personal, but yet you're doing it together with fellowship. Yes. So I, I found it kind of special, actually. So, yeah, I, I the first time I heard it was like 100 people, and I was nobody told me, and I was like, wow. But there are blessings to be had. And I will say one thing, though. I actually, once in a while, when you hear somebody's name off at a distance mentioned, and I find that to be a blessing too. Yes, you do focus when you have a group prayer, 
But it brings someone to mind that, oh my, I never would have thought of that. I don't think there's anything wrong with picking something up off of the distance. I think most of us are not trained, but uh, when someone says our name, we hear it, whether we're trying to hear it or not. And I can see what you're saying. Another brother across the room mentions my name. Thank you. I thank you. I thought that to be a blessing. The other thing is, after it's over, I don't know what it is. It's just you feel different than a traditional prayer service. There's more of a blessing at the end compared to another type of prayer service. Maybe that's our problem. <laughs> Maybe that should go away. Uh, but I see what you're saying. Anyway, the. Saturday, we'll give that a try. Any other thoughts? I just have a question. Uh -huh. Does it have to be at the top of your lungs? No. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm just saying when you have 50 people, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a shouting match, although I have yes, heard yes. that sort of thing. It does, uh, but you know what? That's, that's just individuals, you know. Yeah. There are some preachers that are louder than me. <laughs> some prayerers are louder than me. Uh, yeah, it, it can be a whisper. The Lord hears that as well as the shout.